Lord, what a great truth for us to hold on to today. I pray, Lord, that you would um, just speak through your word in a way that only you do. Uh, thank you for those that have gathered for another night to be in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, uh, good afternoon, evening, whatever, whatever this is. Great to be with you guys. We're going to pick it up in Mark's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. I am trying out a new mic, and it's pulling on the back of my head, so we may have to endure me feeling. If you see me doing this throughout the Bible study, know that I'm trying to figure something out. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to pick it up. As we are going through the chronology of the life of Christ, if you have joined us online, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, for those of you that are in the auditorium, we're so glad that you are here. We're going to, uh, if you remember, um, Jesus picked up a little child. He was speaking about what it means for us to be able to uh, survive between his first and second coming, and he said we needed to pray. Well, on this journey, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And there, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, something pretty dramatic happens. And we're going to pick the story up in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. The question I have for you as we go into this study is, do good people go to heaven? Keep that in mind and that question as we continue in the study. Do good people go to heaven? Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before... You know what? I don't think this is going to work. It keeps falling off, Noah, the, my left ear. Okay. But there's no mic up here. Oh, great. Um, I'm going to continue to go, but then I may take it off. We'll see. If it comes off one more time. There we go. Welcome again. Here we are, Mark chapter 10. You guys get to watch me use new technology. Um, now, as he was going out on the road, verse 17, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This guy, we know him as the rich young ruler. This guy, we, uh, rec we recognize this story, but what's shocking is that he does a couple of things. He comes running and he knelt. Hey, all right, that's the last one. Go into the mic. There we go. Um, running, knelt before him and asked him. So I want you to kind of see the way that he approached Jesus. It is with contrition. He's an authentic seeker, and he says to Jesus, good teacher. Now, he's a Jew, so he knows exactly what he's saying. He's calling Jesus perfect. He's calling Jesus absolute. He's calling Jesus a word that every Jew, Jew know only refers to God. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this guy. In Matthew chapter 19, we see the same story. We know that he's young. And then as well, in Luke chapter 18, the story is told again, and we also learn in Luke 18, he's a ruler. So here's what's happened. We've got a young adult who has a lot, a lot of influence. And 
he recognizes Jesus as this radical leader. Well, young adults usually follow radical leaders. So you've got a young guy that comes out, but I want you to see his approach. He comes out kneeling. Now, it's important for us to recognize we've got to reach out to young adults. We've got to have the ministry that Jesus did in our own personal life. So whatever age we are, there's an opportunity for us to see something a little bit deeper in this story that got Jesus stopped at a seeking young adult. And we need to be part of that process as well. Now, how many of you wish that all of your neighbors and friends would ask you this question? They just come over to your house and go, can you please tell me how I can, eternal, uh, how I can inherit eternal life? What a question that would come from your neighbors. I mean, this is like the question we're all waiting for, right? So let's, go, let's, let's understand, how did Jesus get to the point where this guy comes running and kneeling to ask the question, um, how can I be saved? How can I inherit eternal life? Because Jesus was a man of moral authority. Jesus practiced what he preached. So even though he taught the Sermon on the Mount, even though he communicated the Sermon on the Mount as a pastor teacher, he lived the Sermon on the Mount. We see that in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount, he says, love your enemy. Matthew chapter 8, a centurion comes on the scene, a Roman centurion, enemy to the Jewish state, and Jesus heals his servant because he recognized that he was a man under authority. So Jesus didn't just preach about loving your enemy, he practiced it in front of the Jews. And this young adult saw this man who was unlike the Pharisees, who was the real authentic deal, and he wants to follow that guy. He wants to follow his authenticity, and he wants to understand his moral authority. So Jesus practiced what he preached, and and it led this guy to, you can tell me, please tell me, how can I inherit eternal life? That's hope for all of us with our neighbors and with our friends. The kind of life that we lead, people are watching. And so how we are with the people around us today. Um, we have a, a, our neighbor across the street is severely autistic and he's got four uh, workers that are with him 24 hours a day and they switch, they switch shifts all of the time. And some of the workers are quiet and some of them are not. But today a worker came and he parked in front of our house, but today's garbage day. So I went outside and he wouldn't put his window down. So I'm like, hey, I need to put my garbage here. So he, I just said, could you just back up a few feet so I can put my garbage on the curb? Well, he went around to the other side and I didn't want him to go to the other side. So now I'm thinking like, great, they're gonna find him a pastor. He's gonna be upset about this. And I wasn't trying to make him upset. I was just trying to back him up a little bit. So he comes around the scene and I'm like, hey, sorry. Like, I wasn't telling you that you can't park here. I was saying that, because some of the neighbors don't like them parking everywhere, and we don't care because we love Jack. He's just such a great kid. And um, he was like, no, it's okay. I go, I don't want you to think bad of me. I'm like, no, I don't think bad of you. I understood, so that's why I went and parked over here. But the point is, I'm concerned about what people think of me. And people in this culture, right? I'm talking about the culture we live in in the 21st century world. There's a phrase out there, I don't care what people think. We should care what people think because they're watching our lives. And if we make a mistake, <coughs> we should apologize for it. So here's this guy who says, listen, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Verse 18, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, 
that is God. There's two truths here. Number one, no one is good. And the second truth is only God is good. And Jesus knows what's inside this guy's heart. He knows what's about to come on the scene here. And he knows that this guy thinks he's good. He's a good guy. He's rich. He's young. He's kneeling down. He's authentic. And he wants to give the impression, I'm a good guy. Like, I know I've got some good things. And so what Jesus is doing is he's going straight for the jugular. And he's communicating to this guy, listen, no one is good and only God is good. And let me tell you what he's saying. Everyone needs a savior and I'm your God. Take a look what he says. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. I know you need a savior because you're not good and I am that savior. He's speaking directly to this guy's heart. Now let's go on. Look at with the, if you would at verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Keep this one in mind. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. So he mentions six of the commandments. He leaves out the four. The six that he communicates are the ones that everyone can see. Everyone can see whether you steal. Everyone can see whether or not you murder. He leaves out the ones that are internal he deals with the ones that are ex external. And remember, Jesus is a strategist. He's got a plan. He's leading this man to a truth. You're not good and you need to be saved. And so he starts with where this guy thinks he is good, but he pulls out something in this context that's going to take this guy a little bit deeper. Take a look. I ask you to keep mark of it. Do not defraud. Now you go, wait a second. That's not one of the 10 commandments, do not defraud. The 10 commandment is do not covet. Do not covet. Now, let me explain. This word defraud, it means to wrongly take what's not yours. Now remember, Jesus knows what's inside a person's heart. And this rich young ruler got rich by a reason. He took things that belong to others, and Jesus knows it. He coveted them, and then he took them. And Jesus is pointing out his sin, gently trying to take him to a place of recognizing you're not as good as what you think you are. Remember, the 10th commandment is do not covet, but he's saying you've are not only coveted, you've taken what belongs to another. And no one knew that in the crowd but Jesus. Isn't that a bothersome thing sometimes that like Jesus knows everything about you? And what's worse is, is when someone has a dream and brings your sin to you because you won't confess, right? There's nothing that you can do or say that he doesn't know that you've done or said. He's constantly watching. I always tell my students, practice the presence of Jesus. Live in the place that he's always watching. That might prevent you from going into the direction of sin. Remember the story of David and Bathsheba? And you remember Nathan came and he blessed David, not knowing what had happened? And God tells Nathan, go back to David and tell him a story. And so he goes back and he tells him the story about a guy who had a little sheep. And another guy had a visitor come and he had a flock of sheep. 
And the guy who had a visitor come, he said, I'm not killing any of my sheep. I'm going to take the little ewe lamb from the guy who that's all he owns. And David stands up and David goes, that man needs to die. And Nathan goes, you're the man. So you ready? Where's the executioner? God knew. God told Nathan. And Nathan confronted David. God knows exactly where we're at all of the time. And I pray for you that that's as sobering as it is for me. Jesus is pointing it out. Look at verse 20. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. So here's what we found out. He's rich. He's a ruler. We also found out he's young. And now we're finding out he's religious. This is not a good guy. This is a great guy. This is a great guy guy because this I had a, a guy come to Coast Hills uh, uh, several months ago and he didn't know I was the pastor it was in between services and um, he was like wow there's a lot of hot girls here <laughs> and I said we will see you out the door God bless you this is not the place for that and what he was beginning to communicate to me was church is a place that you can find a great girlfriend no we come here to hear from Jesus not find a great girlfriend but the truth is, this guy, he's going to church. He's rich. He's young. He, he's a great guy. He's also religious. Since his age of 12 years old, when he became a man as a Jewish person in the first century world, he says, as long as I can remember back to the time I was 12 years old and responsible for my own sin, I know I've been keeping all of these then, love that word in scripture, then, verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him. I love that Mark put that in. I wonder what that look must have looked like. He looked at him with a loving look and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross and follow me. Remember, the commandments that the Lord gave were all externals. The one commandment now that he's dealing with deals internally with his heart. You see, on the outside, everyone looked at this guy and go, man, he's a religious guy. He's a good guy. In fact, he's a great guy. He's a good catch for any Jewish girl. But this guy thinks he's good. Oh, good teacher, he comes. But the Lord knows what's going on in his heart. You see, externally he looked good, but there were things internally that were not so good. Look what he says. One thing, verse 21, you lack. Let me read it to you in a little bit more vernacular that maybe you can understand the Greek word lack. One thing I find you short in. Now that's important because you guys all know the Roman road. Romans 3.23 who knows it? Yes, James. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, for this guy, it was his money. But you could fill in anything in here that the world would fall short. In other words, this guy, his issue was money. And he says, there's one thing you're falling short in because the entire world is falling short in one thing none of our righteousness can make it to heaven. It's the one thing the entire world is short in. 
We all need a savior. So he says, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross and follow me. Now, I don't know what your one thing was in regards to you not coming to the Lord, but the one thing in scripture that we all know that we need is the gift of God in Jesus Christ. And so what, what, excuse me, what Jesus is doing, he's dealing directly with the guy's issue of his heart. Now I want to stop for a minute and talk about that word heart, because your heart is what you want more than anything. Because Jesus is about to rock the disciples' world, and I think he could possibly rock our world because I think we all think, Jesus, you are what I want more than anything. But hold that for just a minute because Jesus is going to take his disciples, us, a little bit deeper in regards to the depth of our heart. For this guy, money was at his heart. He defrauded people. He took, he coveted something that someone had, just like David did with Bathsheba, and he took it from him just like David did. And Jesus knows it. And he says, now I want you to sell all you have because it was never yours in the first place. You took it from people and I want you to give to the poor and then you will have treasure. Listen, sell, give, have. I want you to sell what you have. I want you to give to the poor. And we can refer to this as economic redistribution. Do you know that God has given you what he's given you for someone else? Stop just for a moment and think through that. What did the first church do when they had an abundance? They gave so that no one had a need. What did Jesus say? If you got two coats, give one away. It's economic redistribution. It's the opportunity to realize God wants to entrust us as a good steward, not an owner, as a steward of the things that we have. And so he says, sell, give, and have. You see, this is the ultimate give and take of heaven. The ultimate give and take in heaven is as we give, we actually have. Now that's the first part of the give. In, in Philippians chapter four, Paul, when he's writing the church to commend them for the gift that they gave, he says, not that I need the gift in Philippians 4.17, but I'm glad that you gave the gift on account for your bank account in heaven. Now, I know there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be living in the ghetto of heaven. Now, if there is a ghetto, I know that some people will be living in the ghetto of heaven. In proportion to what God's entrusted to them in relationship to how much they give, they are losing their have because they're choosing to hold. And I know a lot of people, like a widow who gave her might, Beverly Hills won't even, Malibu won't even compare with where that woman is going to be living in heaven. You see, the, the give and take is when we give, we actually have. Now, that's the first part of the process. If you'll take a look at the next portion of what Jesus says, he says, have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. 
So the first step is the give. This is the ultimate give and take of heaven. We're giving so we can have, but then there's a take. And the take that we put on is we take up the cross and follow me. Because the idea of God and wealth is sacrifice, not money. The idea of the wealthy believer is how we choose to live in example, as Jesus set the example of how we're to follow, that we choose to follow in like manner. Now, how did he lead us? He went to a cross. So the wealthiest person in the world is the most sacrificial person. And so Jesus says, follow me, go my way. Now, it's amazing. Look how, uh, look how he starts it. If you go in verse 21, he says, one thing you lack, go your way. He ends the verse with, take up the cross and follow me. In other words, go my way. You've chose to go your way your whole life and you've gotten really rich and wealthy. And I'm asking you now to use all that wealth for God and his kingdom and you need to give it back anyway. Give to the poor from whom you take, took it from. Well, let's take a look at what our rich young ruler does but he was sad. Interesting word. The word actually means hateful. He was hateful. And our Bible translators didn't want to make the guy look so bad, but the word is hateful. He was hateful at this word. He was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful. He was so angry, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know what the guy said? Don't touch my stuff. He's revealing his heart. Hey, Pastor Chet, <laughs> don't teach on tithing, okay? Don't talk about what we're supposed to give. Don't talk, no, 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 I don't like that. I don't want you to talk about those things. That's what this guy does. I don't like your sermon, Jesus. I don't like it. So I'm leaving Coast Hills and I'm going to another church because I didn't like that message about what I was supposed to give and be sacrificial with. That's exactly what this guy does. He goes, listen, I'm not doing this kind. I'm going to another kind. And he knows sorrowful, he's hateful, but yet he's remorseful. In other words, he feels bad about what he's doing, but his heart is so much in his money, he's willing to walk away from God. Now hold on to that for just a minute because some of us don't have a money problem. Our heart may be somewhere else. So Jesus, he looked around, verse 23, said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? I love Jesus. Great, I don't care that you don't understand. I'm just, I don't care that you're overwhelmed by this statement. I'm gonna say it one more time to really drive the point home. Let me explain what Jesus is doing. It exists today. You see, there was a theology in the first century world that if you were rich and you were wealthy and you were healthy, that you were blessed of God. Lepers were cursed of God, and the rich and the wealthy, they were blessed of God. And so when Jesus says this statement that it's hard for rich people to get to heaven, he's rocking the disciples' worlds. 
Because they're thinking, that guy's blessed of God. If anyone's going to heaven, that guy is. He's got money. He's got fame. He's got power. He's got influence. He's got authority. This is a rich young ruler. How can you say that guy is not saved? Because if anyone's going to heaven, you would think that the blessed of God man is. Repeats it again and says, no, it's really hard for a rich guy to go to heaven. Then he uses a Jewish idiom. It's easier for a camel, largest animal in Palestine, to go through the eye of a needle, you know what that is, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying in verses uh, uh, in verse 25, he's making it very clear. There's only one way to get to heaven. And look what his disciples say. They're greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Here it is. But Jesus looked at him and said, with men, it's impossible to be saved. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. Your righteousness can't get you to heaven. It's impossible for man to get to heaven, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. I asked a question. Can good people not go to heaven? The answer is yes. This guy's religious. This guy's wealthy. But this guy walked away from Jesus. And Jesus is saying there's no way for man to get to heaven. There's only one way for man to get to heaven. And that is through his son. God made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. So Peter's listening to all this, and Peter began to say to him, verse 28, see, we've left all and followed you. Now, I love Matthew. In Matthew's gospel, he makes Peter look like who Peter needs to look like. The next thing that Peter says, according to Matthew, is, so what do we get? We've left everything to follow you. What do we get? Peter is thinking about himself and thinking about the fact, oh my goodness, we've left everything to follow after you. I can't wait to see what we get. Verse 29, be careful what you ask God. Look at verse 29. So Jesus answered and said, I assured, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife, or children, or lands. Wait, Jesus, I, 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 money's not my thing, but what are you talking about, like, my mom and dad? Like, why are you mentioning my wife here, and are you actually saying I may have to leave South County? The Bible goes on, for my sake and the gospel's. Stop there for just a moment. He's speaking to his disciples. And the first thing he says in Matthew's gospel, he says to the disciples when Peter asks the question, he goes, listen, all of you that have left everything, you are going to be ruling in heaven. I want you to listen to this as I read it for you. I'm going to uh, read it from Matthew's gospel, chapter 19. Matthew's gospel, chapter 19, verse 28, if you want to take that in your notes. Matthew's gospel, chapter 19, verse 28. Bible said, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's what he says to him. Your reward is not earthly. 
It's kingdom. It's heaven. Your reward, don't, don't focus on what I give you here. Focus on what you have in heaven. That's what he starts with. You're going to be a ruler. Your reward is in another place and your reward is in another time. Then look what he says. Go back. If you turn there, go back with me to Mark's gospel. Then he says this. Assuredly, I say to you, verse 29, there is no one who has left. So while we're waiting for that ruler position where we get to rule and reign and we're given a land and we're given a people to rule and reign over as the church, like the Bible promises, he says, in the meanwhile, there's going to be a leaving. Here's what you get, Peter. You're going to have to leave all of your affections towards your mom and your dad, towards your wife, your husband, your children, and the great United States of America. Wherever you have more affection for than me, leave it. Leave it. Because I've got to be your absolute affection. So in the meanwhile, as you're waiting on your reward, your sole affection has got to be me. Jesus said in John chapter six, drink my blood and eat my flesh. In other words, the way that we hunger for food and the way we thirst for water, it's gotta be more for Jesus than it is for the very physicality that our flesh craves. And he's making it very clear here. Listen, there's going to be a leaving in the meanwhile, but the leaving has gotta have a right motive for my sake and the gospels. You see, in the meanwhile, there will be a leaving. But we're not leaving simply because we have a motive of ourselves and self-aggrandizing ourselves. No, there's a leaving and there's a motive attached to it. When we get to heaven, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that Jesus is going to be looking at us and he's going to pierce at us with his eyes. And what he's going to do, he's going to burn away the wood, hay, and the stubble, all those things that we did that didn't have the right motives. I'm hoping for at least a ruby at the end of this or some little piece of gold. But what I want you to see about 1 Corinthians 3, he's burning away the chaff because he's looking for the diamonds. He's looking for the gold. Those things that we did in this life that had the motive of glorifying God, and that's our sole motive. I had a guy many years ago, he was uh, an Amway guy, came to me and he said, man, I love this church and I love everything that God is doing at this church and I just can't wait to be involved. And hey, pastor, could I have all the phone numbers? I've got a way to make all of these people rich and wealthy. <laughs> Goodbye. We had another scheme that came through one time and it was a telephone service back when we all had lion lines and he was going to offer five dollars to the church for everyone that signed up and he looked so good he looked so godly and it seemed like such a plan but really what he wanted to do was fleece the sheep his motive was off so god says there's going to be a leaving make sure you've got the right motive and the motive is that you're simply obeying me but look what else he says Verse 30, who shall not receive, keep that word, a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I had you accentuate that word receiving 
because I've heard a lot of this. If you give to Jesus, sorry for the country accent, but it just comes out when you do this, it's just by force. If you come to Jesus and you give him your house, he'll give you two. You can't outgive God. If you give him a hundred, he'll give you two hundred. I guarantee it. He will, you cannot outgive God. They're missing a very key word. First, Jesus says, our reward is when you're a ruler. Don't keep that in mind. I mean, keep that in mind. Our reward is heavenly. Get your mind off of this place in time. Get your mind on another place in time. And then Jesus says, who shall not receive a hundredfold? Now, I've accentuated that word several times because the word is not have. The word is receive. It's a key word. Do you know I own 10 boats? Do you know that I own about 500 cars? I don't know if you knew that about me. Do you know that I probably own about 2,000 homes? So you're, all of you are like, okay, we need to learn business from you, not just spiritual things. You know why I owe 500 cars? Because I know I can call any one of you at any given time of the day, and if my car broke down, you'd come pick me up. I receive it. There's a guy in our body. He's got a, a, a panga that he lets me use. It's a boat. I go sailing with Chuck. That boat's mine. He thinks it's his, but it's mine. You see, because we're the body of Christ, everything we have, we're in it as a family. There's our home. That extra room belongs to Jesus. What are we using it for? That extra car that extra whatever it is, economically redistributed, how is God using it for his kingdom? You see, it's not a matter of having, it's a matter of receiving. But I want to highlight another word that we're waiting for in the meanwhile, because there's a leaving, there's a, a motive that we have as we choose to obey, there's a receiving, having the right perspective, not having, because we're a big family, I'm going to gain all of these things because we're a family and none of us are selfish. But I want you to see what else he says. With persecutions. You see, I get to go out and I get to sail or I've got a guy in the body who's got a really great car and I'm not going to tell you what kind it is because I don't want to share it with any of you and there's my selfish side coming out, but he lets me drive it every once in a while, and I like it. It's so much fun. It's so great. And I get to enjoy Dana Point Harbor. I get to enjoy riding in this car. But I also get to be blessed with persecution. I get to be blessed with it. You see, sometimes I think we look at persecution in a wrong way. Let me explain it like this. Yesterday, Timon woke up and he called me. I was not at home and he called me and he said, hey dad, I've got a headache. I don't think I can make it to school. Take two ibuprofen, drive to school, 
if you still have the headache, call me then. But dad, take two ibuprofen, get in the car, drive to school. End of the day. Um, you didn't call me. Yeah, I went, ended up going to school. Um, why? Well, I'm actually glad that you made me go to school. In the morning, son, I think you thought I was persecuting you. In the morning, dad, you were persecuting me. You made me get out of my bed and you made me go to school. So what happened by the end of the day? Well, I realized you were right. Hey, gang, God's a great parent, and he knows a few battles and a few blessings make a very mature child. And sometimes he'll allow battles for the sake of blessing because he's just growing us up. If we were spoiled brats, silver spoon in our mouths kind of Christians, God forbid, think, you know those people. You know those people that grew up with a silver spoon. Now, aren't you grateful that he's such a great parent that sometimes he wakes up in the morning, even when we have a headache, and tells us to do something that we don't want to do, like when someone forces you to go one mile, go two. When you've got an enemy, you choose to love him, pray for him, and bless him, and do good to them. Aren't you glad that we've got a dad, a heavenly dad, that says, I know what's best for you, and persecutions are a blessing. I'm using them to mature you, just like Chet made Timon go to school when he didn't want to. And Timon's perspective was, you're persecuting me. But by the end of the day, Dad, I'm so glad you made me get up. I found a mature child. Amen?